developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. TV party tonight! TV party tonight! Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Good evening. You are listening to a Rad Legend Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the Mandated Reporter, brah. And frankly, I'm mortified, and I don't bow, don't know how, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And we are continuing our journey from the corner to the deuce. And that journey has brought us to the Treme district of Nolens, New Orleans, for all you uh, non-local yokels. We are talking the first season of Treme tonight. Treme is an American drama television series created by David Simon and Eric Overmeyer. They're there on HBO. It premiered on April 11, 2010 and concluded December 29, 2013, comprising of four seasons, though that fourth season is only five episodes long. It don't even count for nothing. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's why we're doing that's why that's why we're doing seasons three and four together. Um, it. it featured an ensemble cast of Candy Alexander from The Corner and News Radio, Rob Brown, Chris Coy, Kim Dickens. India Anega, John Goodman from Roseanne, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, Michael Husman, Melissa Leo, Lucia Micarelli, David Morris, Clark Peters from The Wire, Wendell Pierce from The Wire, John Seda, Steve Zahn, and features musical performance by several New Orleans-based artists. The series takes its name from the Treme neighborhood of New Orleans. It begins three months after Hurricane Katrina as the residents, including musicians, chefs, Mardi Gras Indians, and other New Orleanians, try to rebuild their lives, their homes, and their unique culture in the aftermath of the 2005 hurricane and the subsequent severe flooding of Atlantis. I mean, New Orleans. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Joining me arm in arm is my brother from another mother, the disapproving dad, Chesty Starcher. (laughs) Woo! 
um, Juicy J, Jesse Juicy Starcher. J. That's right. That's right. No humbow, Jesse no Starcher. I love the little nicknames you guys give yourselves on this. Like, it's <laughs> like, like the, the name is supposed to like direct people to your social media and everywhere. Like, Pat's this like, you know, you know, he, whatever we're talking about, he's always got a cute little nickname. You've always got a cute little nickname. Like, you people don't want a social media, nothing. No, we do not. No, we do not. Wow, Mark. David Simon. Yes, sir. Wire. Homicide. I mean, those two things have some things in common. Baltimore, Generation yo. Kill. Generation Kill. We went outside the bounds, but man, was it's still a little violent. But did but, we? You know, I mean, yeah. I think, I, look, Homicide. Here's the, here's the through thread. Homicide. Based on a book. The corner, okay. based on a book. Yep. The wire, somewhat based on a book. Mm-hmm. Generation Kill, based, based on, a, on a book. Based on a book, and I believe a Rolling Stone article. Treme, based on a natural disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, this series, and I know we're going to go in to the depths of what happens in this season, but this feels so different from what I was used to before. Let me tell you, you know how we talked about the wire, take a drink, everybody. Um, and I, <laughs> and I said, there are as much as I love the show, as much as I think it's darn near perfect. The struggle with the wire for me at times was there were bits and pieces where I felt like it wasn't moving particularly fast. Like it didn't feel like anything was happening. And it took subsequent rewatches and my brain being able to sort of fill in the gaps and knowing it feels like this is nothing, but it's something all the pieces matter, as Lester tells us. Mm-hmm. The first time I watched Treme all the way through, I literally watched it because I was a huge David Simon fan. I was a huge fan of The Wire. I had not seen Generation Kill, so this is the first show I'm watching after The Wire concluded. And I'm thinking, oh, good, David Simon's back. More Wire stuff. Right. And then this show happens. And I'm watching. And I'm going to come back to this, but so that I can finish this anecdotal introduction. Um, I'm a huge fan of the city of New Orleans. I've been several times. I love the music. I love the culture. I love the cuisine. Uh, my wife is afraid that I'm going to leave her and retire to New Orleans. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I may have threatened that tonight. No, uh, I may have threatened that on, on occasion. Um, you know, I am in, absolutely in love with the city of New Orleans. And so I was very interested in this show, plus David Simon, plus The Wire, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm watching the show and I'm watching and no one's pulling a gun. And <laughs> no, yeah. No one's pulling a gun, but there are a lot. There, everyone's doing a lot of blowing. <laughs> there are a lot of blowing. There's a lot of blowing on this show. Of oh boy, brass instruments. Yes, um, indeed. And to the to, to get to the point, and I know this is, and I'm, I'm starting this way because I know this is like your frustration with the first watch of this. Right. It feels like a Seinfeld esque show about nothing. Mm. It feels like nothing happens. It feels like you're just kind of following these characters in their daily struggle in the aftermath of this natural disaster where their city was destroyed. And that's all well and good, but it felt upon first watch 
like it lacked dramatic tension. There's a dramatic urgency in The Wire. The cops got to get Avon Barksdale. The cops right. got to get uh, Marlo. Avon Barksdale needs to keep his drug organization going and defeat the cops at every turn. Avon and Stringer ha are having a falling out. Omar coming. Omar coming. Yep. Generation Kill. There was a natural um, antagonism. There was a natural conflict. Soldiers in the middle of the Iraq war. Treme, upon first watch, feels like it lacks that dramatic tension. It it almost feels too real in the sense yeah. that if you were to just follow people in their daily struggle, it's not all that interesting. You might empathize with them. You might sympathize. You might feel like, oh, I relate to that. I relate to working in a restaurant and being, at, especially after COVID, oh, yeah. being in a restaurant and being out of food and, you know, not having enough money to pay your bills and keep the lights on and figuring out what you're going to do next. Um, where your next gig's going to come from? How are you going to get there without transportation? You know, but I don't know if any of us really in our daily life have a strong enough dramatic tension to draw an audience. Yeah. And therein lies the struggle with watching Treme. Right. Right. As we discussed tonight, I mean, for me, I immediately sent you some really... <laughs> <laughs> these messages like okay oh great another freaking song here we go again. oh my god the luke cage complaints yes oh exactly. my god another concert <laughs> it's another concert i mean legitimately there are so many concerts that happen per episode mm -hmm. but here's i think why i'm so detached from that you're you're a traveling man Mark hey Rattler. hey hey! it's a 10 episode season how many episodes are just a bunch of black guys in a dank bar sewing <laughs> <laughs> and about no needle and thread jesse starcher oh my gosh and i thought to myself if you took all of the concerts all of the excess like uh of, of performances out of this thing Mm -hmm. you honestly would have half of a five episodes i bet mm -hmm. I, I mean it's a good bit i maybe i'm maybe i'm over exaggerating there it could be like two episodes small i'm not saying that that needed to happen though because mm -hmm. what what i began to realize and as i was going to say you're a traveling man mark radlich you have been you have been down in new orleans several you times have, you've been there you i've seen the goat whore in new oh orleans my gosh goat whore from new orleans i've seen in new orleans that's unbelievable right me the furthest west i've been is i've accidentally went into indiana i live in ohio folks how, how, I what's, the furthest, what's the furthest south you've been how's how close have you been to new orleans oh i i well i've gone into uh, titusville is where my grandpa lives so okay I, i've been in florida i haven't okay. been but again wet it's like there's this imaginary barrier that I cannot get very far west for some reason. I don't know why. Jesse has a like dog collar, that electronic collar. <laughs> right. Fucking leaves Ohio and just goes off and it's like, oh, I got to find a comic book store. Yeah. <laughs> turn around, turn around. There's no snow around here for some reason. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't get the culture. This, mm -hmm. it's obviously a, you know, a, it's paying homage to the culture of Treme. If, if it wasn't in this in this series, it would be probably a sin to call it Treme. So sure. I understand that 
that is an essential part of what this story revolves around. It's New Orleans. It's Treme. They have to be musically involved in some way, which is fine. Um, so as I as I was frustrated, I soon realized, okay, look, it it wouldn't be this show if it w- didn't have that in it. So me, I uh, got let, past it. Let me tell you, this is the second time I've watched Treme. Yeah, you said I, this is your second time going into it. Yeah, I've never like I've rewatched The Wire a bunch. I've rewatched The Corner a few times. As we talked about, I'd never seen Generation Kill before we decided to review it. I watched the Treme when it initially premiered. And I got through the whole thing. I made myself, you know, because I'm a completist. Did you, do, I will, you did all four seasons. I did all three and a half seasons, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not counting that fourth season. You can't make me. Um, but as, you know, but like Gotham, Gotham was a pile of garbage. But I, God damn it, I was going to finish it. Right. You know? uh, rescue me. I lost interest in the last couple of seasons. But God damn it. When I was trying to get over pneumonia, I was like, I'm going to finish Rescue Me, goddammit. I have to finish the series. Yeah. Um, so I've never gone back and watched Treme. Here's what I figured out. Um, I, I expected it to be too much like The Wire because it's David Simon. David Simon, Homicide, The Wire, right. The Corner. I expected we had it to be before. like that. Yep, I expected more of the same. Um, and it kind of gets that way. And <laughs> There's another show that was very similar to this where... The first season, they very much just wanted to show you the flavor of the setting. Yeah. The, the, the show is about the setting, and it's up to the the actors to sort of carry you through it. Like the characters, this is a very much a character piece, and the characters have to be vibrant and interesting, and um, they have to draw empathy from you in order to keep you invested. It also helps if you're interested in the setting. The setting itself is like the if the setting isn't working, if the setting doesn't draw you in, the whole show collapses under the weight of itself. Right. And and um, I want to say, oh, it was Ballers, where Ballers, like the first season, they clearly had just as a point of comparison, they clearly had a vision of what they wanted to talk about. There was a you know th- there was a message, there was a voice that they were giving um, uh, giving speech to. That was something like, hey, we're concerned about the way athletes are treated in professional sports and we want to talk about this. But they didn't really know what the show was about. And the show radically radically lacked dramatic tension. Um, Seasons two and three figured it out. And they were like, oh, the show has to actually fucking be about something. (laughs) (laughs) Things actually have to happen. We can't just whine about, about the state of professional athleticism, you know. Uh, Treme has the same issue going on where this first season upon second viewing because now I know not to have that expectation and to just bask in my enjoyment of the culture of New Orleans the music, the setting the culture the cuisine all of it you know, bask in my enthusiasm for Mardi Gras Um, you know, feel empathy towards John Goodman's character and his frustration with the city and people's perception of the city, that, that kind of thing. Um, be moved by the quest for social justice that Melissa Leo is on. These are all things that are happening in this show. So no, there is no like, we got to get Avon Barksdale kind of tension. There is no, we're going to solve a crime in every episode like there is in Homicide. There's you know, hints or... <laughs> of one, but it's yeah. not like, yeah, it's not right. as tense as the others. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And even like the corner, you know, will this family pull itself out of the 
out, out of the mor- the morass of heroin abuse. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. You know, will DeAndre succeed? Who knows? Watch the show and find out. Yeah, none of that. Um, yeah, this is literally like if you're not into New Orleans and you're not interested in these people that you know they're trying to draw vibrantly, but if you're just not into it, this whole show collapses under the weight of itself. Upon yeah. second viewing, this is the point. Upon second viewing, I found myself enjoying it a lot more. But that's because I knew not to expect anything but what I just described. Okay. I'm not surprised upon first viewing, you're like, oof, I got to do three episodes of this with this guy? <laughs> Fuck me. I'm going to go read comics. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I have. I did say to my wife, I was like, we got four seasons of this. And she tapped out pretty quickly <laughs> oh no <laughs> you couldn't even do baby please i know what you're talking penis but you gotta watch this with me i can't do this alone <laughs> no i couldn't get her past the, the, the yeah the penis speed bump um mm-hmm. we had to we that's she, really funny that she that she that you that she tried to nope out during pam and tommy and you're like no baby please this one you're just like yeah i get it Ron, save yourself. It's it's okay. I'm not going <laughs> to hold anything against you. Uh, granted, granted, as the season went on, I kind of brought her back in and kind of caught her up, and she stuck around for uh, a couple episodes. She wasn't able mm-hmm. to get the last episode in with me, but yeah, we watched uh, like the seventh and eighth episode together, and I think the ninth as well. And uh, anyway, I mean, we were enjoying it for what it was after we finally got past the growing pains. So, right. so this first season, this first. Um... The way, the way we're going to tackle it for you people listening and watching is we're going to go through the characters because, like, there's no, like, with The Wire, um, it was a little bit easier to talk about, well, what is this case, what is the season's case about? Who are right. bad guys? What What's the gimmick? How are they going about it? Like, we could kind of talk through some of the things that way. With, with Treme, and we've done this with other TV parties in the past, where it was a little bit easier to kind of go at it by looking at each character and what their individual story is. Yeah. So, Jesse, I believe you have a little bit of show and tell for us. Right. Indeed, I do. Yeah. Mark's uh, right on the money here. We're going to give you an introduction to these characters because we're going to spend three and a half. uh, So we'll have a total of three episodes uh, on Treme. So we'll kind of intro these characters. And as the seasons go along, obviously, when we get into season two, things will turn. uh, We'll be talking the story a little bit more. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, everyone you know, everyone had the same complaint. They're like, "Why isn't this more like The Wire?" And David Simon's like, "Fine, here's the fucking police case." (laughs) Whiny babies. Um, (laughs) Like, I just, I just want to show you New Orleans music. No one gives a fuck. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, hey, before we get into the characters, um, this does take place in the year of our Lord, two thousand five, three months after Hurricane Katrina. Um, Goes, it's going into two thousand six. So 2005, I've moved to um, Miami, and then late summer, early fall, I moved to Tampa, and um, I'm in Tampa when Hurricane Katrina hits, I think in September of 2005. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember, you know, like I had been there a bunch with my friends. I'd been there three and four times. Um, you know, I'd eaten crawfish. I've partied on Mardi Gras. I wandered into the projects drunk. Um, I've, I've been to, this is New Orleans is where I was at strip clubs where there was like the high end playboy club level, like expensive, you know, big fake booby strip clubs. And then there was the strip club at the end of the universe with the girls with the bullet wounds and the pregnancies, stretch scars. Yeah, man. (laughs) Oh, those are the best. There was no stage, Jesse. There was no stage. I'm going to take you. I'm going to come rescue you from your, from your 
you know, LP floating through space that you live in in Ohio. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to throw you in the car. I'm going to take you to the strip club at the end of the universe. There is no stage, Jesse. Um, like you're used to. You're used to going up to rolling up to the Ohio strip clubs and oh, the girls, yeah. you know, dancing on the poles. I, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and you like to shower them with dollar bills, y'all. That's what I do. Okay. In New Orleans, these clubs have no stages. It's just a bar. <laughs> They're dancing on the bar, Jesse. On the bar. My on goodness. the bar. Can I tell you one of the Woo. one of my journeys to a strip club in New Orleans? There was a swing above the bar, and the swing came loose from the ceiling. And this fucking girl came, no. fell out of the swing, hit the bar, and bounced off. Oh my gosh! It was the saddest and funniest thing I'd seen all vacation. Yeah. And she got up like a champ, man. She kept going. Did she get back to? Oh, my oh yeah. Gosh, she you know man. she fucking kicked out at two. Wow. <laughs> two. Amazing. That's crazy. Dude. All the credit in the world to. Uh, What'd you call what you call on the last podcast? You know, like Bambi McStriptease or some shit. Oh, um, <laughs> oh no, it was McButt Kitty McBuck Cheeks. Yeah, Kitty <laughs> McBuck Cheeks. <laughs> yeah, oh, the man. stripper that Jesse knows um, from yeah, Ohio. Yeah. The, the one. The one, <laughs> one stripper. Anyway, um, so when Katrina, I'm asking for a reason. When Katrina hit New Orleans, I was like <laughs> really bummed. You know, I was really sad. Um, and then, like, the subs- subsequently, depending on which newscast you were watching at the time, you know, it was there was a lot of like red tape that went into uh, government intervention in light of the hurricane. It was a lot if like if you go back and you read some of that stuff, and I did, it was a lot of FEMA needed X Y Z permission to do one two three, and they weren't getting it, and. There was a lot of like George Bush didn't react in time, but no one was telling him what he needed to do. And so it's like a lot of procedural stuff apparently affected the response to Katrina. And that delayed a lot of services. And, you know, that's one of the things the show talks about is, you know, people trapped in their attics and on roofs because the city was like flooded with like eight feet of water or some shit. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and then you know the other side of that, and the show talks about this too, is they 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 New Orleans was always under the threat of flooding. If a strong enough hurricane ever hit the Gulf and nailed New Orleans the way this one did, this was always potentially a threat. And I guess the city never took it too seriously, is what was said at the time. Um, you know, they, they never put the money into the infrastructure the way they should have to protect themselves against this sort of thing. Of course, if you hear other people talk about it, they're like, there was nothing anyone could have done. 
at some yeah. point there was no preparation good enough that was going to stop the hurricane from wrecking this city. It just, it is what it is. It's kind of like what happened this past year in Fort Myers where like, there's nothing sometimes a hurricane just hits your city and it flattens it. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm not really taking a position David Simon certainly does. <laughs> Terme takes the position of the government little, little lapse in its, you know, its response to Katrina, um, the city of new Orleans, little lapse in its preparation for, you know, um, you know, a category five hurricane. My question to you is how much of Katrina were you aware of? How much did it affect you? How much were you paying attention at the time? Yeah. So Kira was born in 2005. So it's April of 05. So I remember watching. So none at all. Got it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really, I mean, a lot of it was just watching the news coverage mm -hmm. as, uh, as August, I think it was August of 2005 when it hit. Mm -hmm. um so I, most of it was just watching cnn and uh i distinctly remember the superdome stories yeah the superdome uh and i remember hearing those stories and thinking man i mean it's just horrific to think about mm -hmm. all these people who lost these homes had no place to go uh just like were shoved into large facilities, you know, packed to the brim. And they touch on that a little bit about, you know, especially at the end of this season, they kind of show mm -hmm. what it was like leading up to after uh, right before the hurricane. Right. Um, but yeah, man, I was, I was watching, I was aware of it. And of course you, you know, you heard all the horror stories as to how these people were suffering during this massive catastrophic, catastrophic event. And that's about that's about the extent of it. It was just watching the news. Um, I might have caught a documentary on it at some point, but that's about that's about all I knew. Um, this is probably the first show. I don't know if there is any other shows that have Katrina uh, centered in it anyway. I don't mm -hmm. think that that's been a thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's probably about the extent of it right there. All right. So let's get into the characters here. All right. Good old Bunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bunk is Bunk. Wendell Pierce is Bunk in every single show that I've seen him in. He plays um, in that Jack Ryan show that's on right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's still remember. Bunk. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It feels like Bunk. I mean, it really does. Uh, I'm muttering motherfucker under his breath every once in a while. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, here's here's Antoine Batiste. Yep, played um, by Wendell my, Pierce. My my notes for Wendell, uh, not the best father, <laughs> not uh, not the best boyfriend so either. Awfully judgy of you. <laughs> I mean, how many times in this episode does he just look, or this season does he look annoyed? <laughs> uh, at the fact that he has to take care of his daughter or he has to his his ex hey man is... he's just a musician in the world man he's just trying to blow his horn johnny not a good look listen there man he's trying to blow his bone <laughs> oh he... boy oh boy <laughs> he, he is trying to blow his bone he's just trying to get around the city and if he'd only taken this this the roads that he told the cabbie the cabbie would have saved himself some time and money. Oh, the meter say 26, don't you understand? Because <laughs> I got 20. 
me to say 26. That's my favorite bit about him. Like, never mind, never mind the fact that he's a terrible father. Never mind the fact that he's just a guy gigging around New Orleans and he's just trying to make a living as a musician. And it's really like the most important thing to him. And so, like, he's trying to do the right thing, but the right, you know. <laughs> let me tell you, I know people like this. Wink. Um, <laughs> they want to do the right thing because the right thing is the right thing. But what they really want is to do the thing they want to do. Oh yeah. And in the case of uh Antoine Baptiste, he just wants to play his bone. Oh, you know? more way than more ways than one. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh there is a point top five moments of this season is when he is screwing the chick and he's like, you know what they call my instrument, don't you? The bone, and he's sitting there giving it to her while saying that. So, the um, <laughs> least sexiest sex scene I've ever seen. Oh yeah, she's include, like looking back, and that like, would include the rape scene in Nude Nuns with Big Guns. <laughs> the girls looking back there, like, are you still back there, blowing yeah. bubbles with her bubble yeah. gum? Like, yeah, oh, okay. utterly disinterested. Um, totally. Um, so yeah, not the best father, not the best boyfriend. Fairly, mm. I mean, a decent trombone player. He's got a reputation. He sits in with all these bands. He's mm. gigging around trying. Most of the show is Antoine trying to find gig works, stiffing mm -hmm. cabbies, stiffing cabbies on the reg. He'll give it to him. And blow, oh yeah, he'll catch you. I'll catch you. Come back at two o'clock. He'll catch. He'll catch you that other six dollars. That's right. Um, blowing his paycheck too, which it uh, seems like mm -hmm. he's you know. Uh, there is a great arc here, though, where that, my favorite part of the season is when he loses his trombone because he runs into a police car. With he it. drunkenly stumbled. <laughs> Drunken, let's paint a picture for our audience who has not watched the show, possibly. Drunkenly walked into a Nolan's cop car on Bourbon Street. Not a good idea. No. Uh, Having so been he... drunk on Bourbon Street and, and deftly avoiding walking into cars, let me tell you, don't walk into cop cars of, <laughs> in any city. The one car you don't want to run into. Yeah, watch where you're walking. Yeah. Your advice from Uncle Marky. So <laughs> don't, he... <laughs> don't drunkenly walk into cop cars. In case you didn't know. <laughs> he loses his trombone because they arrest him and just basically leave it out on right. the street, I assume, or don't even catalog it as evidence. But uh, right. anyway, so he loses his trombone and he ends up getting in contact or somebody gets in contact uh, with some like jazz enthusiasts from J Japan. Mm -hmm. and uh, he ends up meeting with one who get, buys him a brand new horn. And uh, he's it's cool to watch him and this Japanese guy go back and forth on this jazz history. <laughs> you know, these these players and one is kind of trying to up the other while the you know, uh, and he finally gets tired of it at one point. And he's like, no, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. But anyway. The, the cool thing is, is the Japanese guy buys him uh, uh, buys him a, a, a new horn. And then like what, like two episodes later, he walks into a pawn shop and there's his old horn sitting on the fucking wall. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's cool to watch him kind of uh, go through these motions uh, just as a musician trying to stay on the level and then loses his one thing that allows him to work uh, and somebody who respects his profession enough comes in and is like, look, I, uh, let me buy this for you and buys him a brand new right. horn, which was pretty cool. But anyway, hey, I, uh, I put a, I put a link in the private chat. Just make sure you check it out for the end of the show. Okay. Oh right. boy. We got quotes folks. Yeah. Get ready. It's a new gimmick <laughs> on, on our, on this particular TV party series. All right, dude, go to the next um, slide. 
Next slide. Well, speaking of Antoine, we've got to talk about Mm, Candy Alexander. Give me that little whistle, Jesse. Give me that whistle. There you go. There it is. (laughs) I don't do it nearly as well as you. Candy Alexander, who you might recognize from Dakota. And and of course, News Radio. Uh, Candy Alexander plays LaDonna Baptiste Williams. She is the ex-wife of Antoine. Uh, She owns and runs a tavern in New Orleans. She was formerly married to Antoine, whom she has two sons. She commutes between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, where she lives with her sons and her current husband, Larry Williams, a dentist. She is pressured by her husband to move to Baton Rouge, and she has to and she has no ties to New Orleans anymore. She previously took care of her elderly mother, who refused to leave the city when they were trying to locate Ladonna's younger brother, David Maurice, otherwise known as Damo, who we'll Damo. talk about. Damo. We, uh, we'll talk about in a moment. Who went missing during the storm? Uh, Candy Alexander is great. Candy Alexander is a great actress in general. Um, very underrated. She is great in this. Um, she. The thing that she does well as an actress, which I always find rather amusing, is she always has like, it's not resting bitch face. Oh man, She's, it is contorted bitch face. Oh yeah, it it is like, like on purpose bitch face. Yeah, is she is. <laughs> oh, she is perpetually making this face like somebody kicked her in the twat. Um, <laughs> but it's it's so good, like, and it's such a weird thing because us because because it, it's always that one face, but if you alter it just slightly, it's different emotions. Oh, <laughs> it's it's man. the weirdest thing. Um, no, she does a great job in this show. Um, she does a great she a lot she has a lot of scenes with Melissa Leo, who we'll talk about, who right. plays the lawyer who is a civil rights lawyer who is looking for demo. Um, she has a lot of great scenes with Larry, her current husband. You know, she's she's one of the, and, and I, I really empathize with her character because she's torn in a lot of different directions. Uh, also, she's clearly not the favorite child by her mother. Her mother very much favors the demo who is missing. And yep. nothing LaDonna does for her mother is good enough. And right. it's always like very passive aggressive, you know, very dismissive of, of her. Um, you know, she's trying so hard to do right by her mom. And her mom's like, yeah, but what about Damo? Right. Right. So, I mean, let's go ahead and lead into Damo and talk about him real quick, because uh, a good portion of this whole season is her trying to discover what happened to him because he went right. missing right after Katrina hit. Um, it, it is believed he was arrested. Right. But so to set this up for people that don't understand um, in, in the aftermath of Katrina uh, they were moving around and I, and I've been through this having been through hurricanes here in Florida. Um, they were moving, you know, they can't just let people go. They can let some people go, you know, they can ROR people. They can, you know, they can, uh, release people with court dates or whatever to try to lessen the amount of people in the jail. We've done that with hurricanes. We did that with COVID, um, where we just let a whole bunch of people out and, you know, because we were trying to create space due to the, you know, not having a vaccine and all of that. So it's a similar situation here where they couldn't let everyone go and, and they ended up having to move a bunch of inmates. And because it, you know, not every municipality, not every city is great with the paperwork when it comes to our incarcerated individuals, uh, a lot of guys got lost in the system. Right. Um, it just became a, a, a system of sort of hurting bodies yeah. and not really paying attention to who or what they had. And then you just got to get them somewhere. Right. And then there's the added wrinkle of the federal government sending uh, incarcerated in, incarceration systems money 
for the amount of people that they held. So now there's incentive to hold people. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So what we find out at the end of the season is that Damo got pulled over on the way to helping out another character. We're going to talk about the, the chef on the show. And he, he was placed in jail before the hurricane started and then got lost in the shuffle somewhere. We find out that Slim Charles uh, <laughs> from The Wire um, took him under his wing, quote unquote, switched bracelets with him. And uh, he got utterly lost. And eventually, I think he was beat to death by some guards somewhere and then died. And didn't. And, and until they found him, didn't even die under his right name. Yeah, that's that is the impression you get right now in this season you don't know right uh i think they just know that he supposedly fell off the bunk and hit the yeah. back of his head and died yeah there's and... no way that he fell off the bunk and unless he bounced <laughs> off his face like a basketball exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> several times yeah he he literally like had to have fallen off the bunk from the sears tower <laughs> <laughs> on his face and bounced right. a few times right uh yeah, so we find out that he's dead and she has to deal with that. Plus, she has to deal with the fact that she has to tell her mom, which right. she tries to avoid that as long as she can. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's not going to she has to make the arrangements. And I think our final episode is the funeral for yeah. Damo. Uh, There's so, quite a few funerals towards the end. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, you know, she did a great job. You're right. She, she if looks could kill, man, mm -hmm. she can deliver. Yeah. She that she had it's like that, like I said, that slightly open mouth, head kind of cocked back, just like oh are yeah. you disgusted? Do, are you do you have <laughs> gas? Are you orgasming? I don't understand. What is that face? What is your face, Candy Alexander? Oh uh, uh, her interaction with the roofer from Texas <laughs> is yeah. my favorite moment of this whole show, and I'm mm -hmm. gonna go ahead and say it right now. Um, because he this has been with me throughout the whole season. He goes up to her. And he's like, Hey, you know, there's a whole arc where she's trying to get a roof fixed. This roofer finally is like, uh, hires this guy from Texas. Who's got this, who comes in and sees that she's been trying to get a roof fixed by this, the guy he's working for. And he's just not doing it. So mm -hmm. he comes in and he's like, look, I'll fix it for you. I can do it in two days. You've already paid the guy. Um, I'll go ahead and do it. You know, he's, he's had you on the, uh, the hook for this long anyway yeah. he looks at her or she's like you're going to tell me you're going to do that for in two days and he looks at her and he goes ma'am no disrespect but this city has one of the worst work work ethics ever uh and so it's good great not wrong I'm like, not wrong either i yeah i laugh so hard because most of this series most of this season is just party after party after yeah. party, after party. Oh, after what are you going dereliction to... of responsibility? <laughs> after dereliction of responsibility. I've got a great day planned for you. What's next on the agenda? A nap. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, geez. Uh, so it it just fit perfectly for what yeah. I was experiencing when I was watching this. All right, next next character. This is Tony. Uh, yes, Melissa Leo. Yeah, and it's great to see her back. By the way, and she yes. looks fantastic for you know, being this far outside of homicide, um, life on the street. I don't think I've seen her in anything else other than this show and homicide. Melissa, I'm sure she's Melissa been in other Leo, stuff. Melissa Leo's character in this, so she plays a civil, I believe a civil rights attorney, 
Uh, hang on, let me read it. Uh, yeah, she's a civil rights lawyer. She's working with LaDonna. Um, she has a relationship with the police. Like, I, I empathize with her character because, like, my job is to be an advocate for inmates in terms of making sure their mental health needs get met and they are not neglected uh, yeah. benignly or otherwise in the um, in the correctional system. But I also have to have a relationship with the people that we are uh, working at the behest of and, you know, and at the pleasure of, which is yeah. the local sheriff's office. And so I'm in that middle position of I have to have a good relationship with my deputies. I have to have a good relationship, at least a professional relationship with the inmates. And um, they are natural antagonists of each other. And yeah. <laughs> And and it, so I'm often I'm often in the middle trying to stop mommy and daddy from fighting. Right. Um, and that's the position that Melissa Leo is in, where she's working for LaDonna and trying to find Damo, but she also has has a relationship, you know, she like she has a good relationship with law enforcement, but she also sues them because right. you know, police <laughs> brutality is a thing that happens. happens. Not in the not the way it is present, presented on the news. That's a podcast for a different day. Statistics are real and, and they are meaningful. But um, on the occasion that it does happen, people are entitled to rights and that's where she steps in. Um, and so I would say Melissa Leo is probably the closest to a level-headed, normal, got-her-shit-together character this whole show has to offer. Right. And, the, and, and that isn't like saying the rest of them are way out there because most of these people feel very genuine but yeah you're right well oh you go uh, well when we talk steve's on maybe yeah but <laughs> i was gonna say I, my exact words where she's got she's the closest anyone the, the, she's the closest to having her shit together as any character on this show right okay oh mm -hmm. i hear you um but yeah uh my notes are she's helping Ladonna try to find her lost brother uh she mm -hmm. enjoys a new new orleans louisiana wife with her husband creighton burnett Ah, uh, John Goodman from Roseanne. Yeah, boy, do I love his first appearance in this show, where he is yeah. just tearing the shit I don't, out of some. I, I don't even care about that. You know what has to be talked about? It is 2005 in the year of our Lord, almost yeah. 2006, and he has discovered YouTube. Oh, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> that is great. How great? How, just thinking, thinking about right, we're on YouTube right now us two schlubs yep. yes us, we two, are. us two assholes we are we are nobody nothing we are Not specks of cosmic dust <laughs> we... and watching watching him go viral is great <laughs> well i mean and we're on youtube though like right? that's the point that i'm trying to drive home in the year of our lord 2023 it is nothing to be on youtube it is as no. common as the day is long okay <laughs> it's like walking into mcdonald's and ordering a cheeseburger it is that like any any right now anybody in this house could be on youtube and have their own youtube i have right. six people living here besides me they could all have their own youtube channel that's how easy it is to have in 2005 it was brand new it was the yeah. wild west and john goodman's like so you mean to tell me because he want because he has a message yeah, he, he has a voice he has a perspective that he needs to share with the world and he's doing these documentaries he's doing these interviews and he doesn't feel heard he doesn't feel seen. He feels the city, and by extension himself, completely misunderstood, underestimated, undervalued. And he's so frustrated. And then along comes this wonderful piece of magic given unto us by God called YouTube, 
where children make millions unboxing toys, Jesse Starcher. <laughs> they unbox toys uh, and we throw you. millions of dollars at them. <laughs> I hear you. And this man says, do you mean to tell me that I can turn on my computer, turn on the camera, I can say anything I want, and no one will stop me, and I can put it here for millions of people to see, possibly? The fuck kind of alchemy witchery is this? Yes. Yes. And that is his whole fucking character at that point. Right. He is angry and frustrated and just wants to be heard, and where have I heard this before? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> in a few years he'll have a podcast um and, oh yes <laughs> and um and he'll have to change from blog talk radio to speaker because no one will hear him um anyway sorry I'm sorry Craig. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um my point is like lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He he has this medium available to him and he, you know, and then he gets fa- kind of famous for it. Like people around New Orleans, like, hey, you're the fuck you, you fucking fuck guy. Right. And it's great. And he and, and, and like he's kind of like basking in it. And sadly, not I don't want to steal your thunder or anything, but I, I want to no, keep moving fine. with this. And sadly, it's all too much for him. Um, yeah, and he, he throws himself into the Mississippi River. He gets in uh, now. That kind of makes it sound like the fame got to him. That's not the case. No, 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 no. no I don't. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead and fix what I said. Then, <laughs> uh, what what has happened? I think where it starts to go off the rails is when he ha- is kind of like on the line for a book about a previous flood that happened, mm-hmm. and. He took the advance for the book. They put it into the house and then the publisher starts calling. They're like, hey, publishers like let's cash in on this uh, flood stuff because of it's kind of contemporary right now. Right. And I think a lot of what Cray's struggle with that is, is that he did not want to be somebody who like an ambulance chaser. Yeah. Even though he was on the line for this, he did not want to do this. And of course he struggled writing it. Most of the, uh, there's like two or three episodes where you just saw him sitting there at an empty screen, trying to write one time his daughter walks in and, and he just starts grabbing and randomly typing. And he's like, Oh yeah, mm. let me finish this last paragraph. And he's got nothing. He's looking over what he's written so yeah. far. He's drinking and he's just taking the manuscript or whatever he wrote and just looking over a page throwing it away yeah, and so i will say he's i think we were one scene away from him typing you know all work and no play makes cray a dull boy right he's <laughs> he's going he's getting there and mindy i even looked at me and said he's gonna kill himself and that was two episodes before he did i need to i need to talk about this we're having fun you and i we always have fun together even oh, if yeah. it's a serious topic and i don't necessarily need to go into, into corner territory with this 
but I, I do have something I need to get off my chest. You know, Cray is dealing with depression. Um, he's yeah. sort of staring into the middle distance of it all. And he's looking at this city that he's so attached to. And it's funny because like him, like Melissa Leo talks about having been born and raised there and that he's from, I think, somewhere else. And he moved there and he just fell in love with the city and it's a part of him. It's in his blood. And then all of this happens and he's just feeling bereft of all of the things that make him him and, and give him joy um, on top of the pressure of having to now write this book that he has no enthusiasm for and no, and no ideas for. Um, and the city's not quite the same as it once was. And he's not finding any joy in teaching. And Melissa Leo's character is gone all the time on her, you know, civil rights journey. And, you know, he's still connected to his daughter and he loves his daughter, but he's not really getting yeah. the joy out of that relationship that, that, that is, he needs. That's the worst part about this whole thing well, is the Hank, fact that he ha has that relationship. But go ahead. Right. And so he has this last day. So it's, he comes to the realization that there's no use going on. I have tried. I, you know, I did Mardi Gras. I did all the things that we used to do, but nothing feels right to me anymore. I don't feel right. The universe feels askew, and I don't feel like I fit. And I relate to Cray. I, I relate to his struggle. I relate to his feelings. I relate to that level of depression. Okay. And while I have not had the urge to throw myself into the Tampa Bay, um, I certainly see two things. I see what drove him to that, but the reason why I, but when Melissa Leo says in frustration and in, uh, in her own like depression and sadness and anger and feelings of betrayal, he quit, right? This show is about fighting for the city, fighting for yourself, fighting for your culture. And here is this guy who's supposed to, who's presenting himself as the is this bastion this voice of new orleans advocate this advocate and it becomes too much for him and he throws himself into the mississippi river and and so i i i feel that natural conflict of yeah. feeling like i don't have it in me to go on but also i don't want to quit and i don't yeah. want to Suicide is the most selfish thing you can do to the people you love. And that is what Melissa Leo and the daughter talk about after he's gone. And, um, you know, and, it, and, I, and you find it interesting. This, this show sort of focused on, for, for a brief period of time, focused a light on that. Um, the first time it happened, I, I remember, uh, I guess, yeah, I remember watching this and like telling Melissa about it. And I was really like, I, I was tore up when he killed himself. And watching it all these years later with, you know, years of my own struggles and whatnot and seeing what he did, it was like, you know, it's not something I would ever do, but I got, I understand where he's coming from, but I also would never want to put anyone I know through what Melissa Leo and the daughter character go through in this show. Right. Right. It, it's. Cause this has, this resonates into the next couple of, in the next couple of seasons. I would, I would hope so. I mean, this is a big deal. I would, you know, this is something mm -hmm. that I feel like a family would have to struggle with for a long time. I mean, the mm -hmm. rest of basically the rest of their lives. I don't think it's out of bounds, uh, you know, to say uh, as men that sometimes you, you sort of look at the great struggles that, you know, that we go through and and you think about like, oof, sometimes it's hard to get up and, and, and face the day. Oh, we, yeah. We, yeah. You, you do it. But yeah, you know. 
again, I don't think it's out of bounds to say we've all had a cray moment. Yeah, <laughs> right. Where, and it's a weird. For me, it was kind of like this weird mm-hmm. duality where yeah. you know he he saw the greatness of this city, what it once was, and yeah, maybe it's not that way. This. Uh, like it was mm-hmm. but he was he was fighting for the city he was saying look we don't need you uh we're just going to be we're going to be just fine and i think he's saying that like episode three and then mm-hmm. things things aren't fine right by the s- second to last episode i'm not fine jesse i'm not fine i yeah and and <laughs> he's not and and the the heartbreaking part about it is is that he's not talking to anybody about this right and of course this is I'm certain that this is textbook stuff that happens with people who do this. I can't that, remember what podcast just Robert and I were, were doing at the time. We're doing one of the damn you Hollywoods and um, we, Oh, it was the boys. It was, it was actually, it was me, you and him. We were, cause I remember cause I cut this for TikTok about um, when he talked about the one MMA fighter and the guy that committed suicide and him saying, you know, I wish he had just, <clears throat> I wish he had talked to me instead of, instead of uh, hurting himself because I would rather be with my friend who's sad than having, you know, lost him entirely. And, you know, this tacit recognition of men's poor mental health in just this country alone. And how I think we talked about at the time with the boys that, you know, like men don't reach out for help because um, it's not seen as manly to be vulnerable. So right. we don't seek help. We don't. We don't do therapy. We don't do the things we need to do to help ourselves not throw ourselves into the fucking Mississippi River, right? Um, um, and and I think I wish the show had touched on that a little bit more. Instead, it kind of touches on it by not touching on it. You know, he, you're, you're, it's, you're, you're, you as an audience member or meant to sort of, you know, infer he, he had nowhere else to go and nowhere to turn to, and feeling like. He couldn't unburden himself of all of this uh, persistent sadness and that there was no there was nowhere to go but down. That's tough, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's it's just rough that, you know, that this happens every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to watch a family who, is, you know, this is the family that is just like you said, they all seem to have their shit together. Mm-hmm. maybe you know okay craze having a couple and the daughter are doing better than everyone else in this cast right right <laughs> and and i mean his relationship with his daughter everything is mm-hmm. that's the roughest part about this whole thing is yeah. the fact that he takes his life and he leaves his daughter who just thought the world of him yeah and Wanted vice versa than... i it's think rough. it's important to say that out loud that we as men sometimes beat ourselves up you know we sort of flog ourselves in the corner for not reaching our potential for not doing more for our families for not succeeding the way we want to for not being the providers we think we should be and we sometimes forget that sometimes all your kids want you is just to be there just be there right all right moving on let's get let's get let's let's get (laughs) steve's on hey (laughs) all right Steve's uh, on. So he plays Davis McElary. I, I I put him. I called him a hippie slash hipster. What do you think? Um, uh, hipster is definitely correct. Okay. So he, uh, we when we first meet Davis, he's a Treme radio DJ. He decides to run for council on this absurd platform, pot for potholes. 
Mark Radulich. Uh, <laughs> you know who he reminds me of? I, I don't know how much of this is going to resonate with you because I don't know how familiar you are with him, but he's, he reminds me of like Jello Biafra, oh, the singer of the Dead Kennedys, and also like you've, ran mentioned, from... you've mentioned him plenty of times. Yeah, right? sure. Throughout the years of doing Metal Hammer of Doom. Right. As, so, as an aside, my wife goes out on dates and she dates all these guys, and you know, she talks about me and what I do, and she's like, Oh, he has this podcast. We haven't done a Metal Hammer of Doom. It's since been a while. before October. It's been a while. <laughs> but you know the one that she tells everyone about? The Tell fucking me. Metal Hammer of Doom. And they're like, oh, that's great. I love metal. <laughs> give me his metal podcast. And I'm like, why don't you fucking give him my third grade report card while you're at it? <laughs> Some old stuff now. I was Damn. just like, yeah, tell him about the jukebox. That would be, you know, what I'm doing. <laughs> a little, yeah, a little more recent. <laughs> a little more recent. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Davis, um, he... <laughs> He reminds me of Jello Biafra. Jello Biafra was a singer of the Dead Kennedys. He ran for mayor of uh, San Francisco, I think. You know, he is very much always trying to incite social outrage and doing so in sort of this theater of the absurd manner. Uh, and, you know, he's I, we've talked about this on the Metal Hammer of Doom where some of these guys, Al Jorgensen, Jello Biafra, um, the broad from OTEP, um, oh, yeah. you know, Ice-T, like, you just want to sometimes sit him down and be like, what are you so mad about, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Like and, and like, I get it, but as we've talked about on all of those shows at Infinitum, it's like it's like my dad, you know, he's just yelling about stuff, and it's just like you might be right, but you're yelling, so I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> yeah, there comes a point where I've decided mm -hmm. not to listen to you. Yeah, right. So he creates a CD. It's got like four tracks on it, lampooning politicians and their response to Katrina. He gains this big popularity. You know, mm -hmm. like I said, he runs for council, city council, I believe. Uh, don't think he has a, he does not win as far as I mm -hmm. know. And uh, he, nobody he gets paid to withdraw. To. I think he, he gets pressure right. to withdraw and, you know, and, and gets like political favor for doing so because he's going to just like the wire season three and four. He's going to peel votes off somebody else that needs them. Yeah. His uh, so Steve Zahn portraying this guy. I, I love Steve Zahn. Uh, one mm -hmm. of my, one, you know, one of my favorite comedic actors um, and, you know, I don't really get to watch too much with him in it. I'm sure there's a ton out there, but I haven't watched a whole lot with him in it. Everything mm -hmm. I have, I've enjoyed watching him in here. I loved it. I, I loved the humor that he brought uh, to. I love the to passion. The he, is, oh, yeah. he, is he is more so than Craig, John Goodman's Craig. He is really he is the voice of the culture, which is weird because, you know, for the culture, black folks. But there's Steve Zahn. <laughs> His <laughs> <Trans> relationship. <laughs> He's well, transracial I, Steve, Steve Zahn. Yes, he is very much so in this uh, in this series. Uh, I love his interaction and his relationship with his gay neighbors. Starts mm -hmm. out really rocky, and then they become really good friends afterwards. <laughs> Suck all the cock you want. That's not my problem with you. Stop calling the cops. <laughs> Stop calling the cops. <laughs> you live in the Treme. Oh, that's great. So good. I um yeah. I love my favorite two things with him in this entire season because he's a little insufferable through most of this i i don't do well with sort of the hipster douchebag you know that comes from money right like that oh, just yeah insight and it just sends me and i you know in, in a negative way like uh, i don't i don't do well with you um but i i love his passion for the city and i love that he speaks for the city he spe he's the lorax he speaks for the trees i get that i love that <laughs> His character is a little insufferable until the very end. And he does two things that make him that that make me sort of warm to him. The date that he goes on with uh what's her nuts? Annie. Um no, well, yeah, oh, you're, oh, you're talking Kim you're Dickens. talking about 
Yeah, yeah. Jeanette. Jeanette. Yeah, the Jeanette uh, de uh, who is the chef we'll talk about momentarily, presumably. Yes. When she is like, my restaurant's going under. I have no money. I'm upside down. I have no walls in my house due to the flood. Um, I Ceiling to, caved in. You know, I am. I have resorted to being a traveling grill chef. I'm going to go to New York. I'm leaving New Orleans. There's nothing for me here. And he's like, don't go. We The, the city needs you. We need people... The thing that happened with Katrina was people left. People went to Houston. They went to Atlanta. And there's a and a lot of what this season deals with is we got to bring the people back. Get when, we get back. To, when we get to uh, Clark Peters, um, you know, his Indian character, you know, that's a lot of what he talks about is like bringing the Indians back. You know, Davis talks about that. We like people have to come home. People have to come back. You know, the people that the, that the hurricane drove out need to return and bring their life's blood of the city with them. So she's trying to leave because she's kind of had it. You know, there's only so much you can struggle, as we learn from Prey, before you, you know, before you just get exhausted and you drown, literally. Um, So she's (laughs) leaving and he's like, give me one day to convince you not to leave. And really, it's I love this city and I love you and I want you to love this city as much as I do. And let's kind of be a throuple with the city. And and so he takes her on this very like romantic metaphorically, of by the way, not the whole city. <laughs> Just start banging New Orleans like Bourbon Street, like for the love of Christ! How many times have to tell you, David, stop screwing the street sign? Um, he takes her through, uh, you know, a day of the city. They eat po' boys and they, you know, in beignets at Cafe Du Monde. And oh know, yeah, and by the way, first time I got to see a beignet. So oh yes, we <laughs> did we talk about that in a previous show, some show that we did where I was It'll... like. You got to get all the powder on you. There's a, a G of, in there. A, bit of powder. a fucking G? There's a G. Okay. <laughs> yeah, beignet. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be France. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so he it's just this, this, this whole like love letter. You know, it's like when you send a girl a mixtape, you know, because oh, yeah. I'm a hundred. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is his like live action New Orleans mixtape that he's giving her. And be like, please don't leave this city. Yeah. And she fucks off. <laughs> like like a girl she's he like tried. I, he's like everything you're doing is wonderful and it's not enough i'm gone yep typical yeah. um hello ladies <laughs> twitter my my twitter <laughs> please contact <Yeah>. me <laughs> i'm on snapchat um anywho your thought any further thoughts on mr davis well you i don't know if you said it i thought you said there were two things there was the oh, date his um his oh yeah the second thing was seeing him um on mardi gras yes with annie i yep. you know like he's A so very honorable su- yeah he's so gentlemanly and sweet to her and like you know and she's been like abandoned by her heroin addict boyfriend or coke addict boyfriend and she's like let me let me show you mardi gras through my eyes and it's a very like show me your world kind of a thing yeah, that was really cool. And that was what I was exactly going to say is that his his interaction with Annie that night, you start to realize that, OK, yeah, I mean, this guy is. Yeah, he's kind of goofy, but he's definitely got an honorable streak in him. So. Uh, so, yeah, my next uh, next player would be Jeanette and watching her struggle with uh, her restaurant uh, as a chef, trying to get the business back on track after Katrina uh, there's water in the damn gas lines, apparently. <laughs> was it like uh, they keep blowing the water out and someone else blows it back in? Yeah. Boy, is that a metaphor for New Orleans if I've ever heard one? 
uh, but yeah, I mean, most of this, most of her arc in this season is just her trying to get back on her feet. And then finally, she's just like, I can't do it anymore. She, yeah. she was almost going to tell her uh, servers that at her restaurant, like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make payroll. And then she was finally like, I can't do this. Yeah. I have got, I just got to shut the business down. And we, she even brought everybody into the meeting to tell them that she was going to stiff them on payroll or at least hold them over for a little bit until she got the money. But then she made the decision. She just wasn't going to do it because she didn't want to do that to them, which is, which is great. She's a good person and she's mm -hmm. trying to make it, but it, this whole Katrina thing and New Orleans you, is just you know, really killed her. Go ahead. In a way, she's kind of emblematic of this whole first season. You know, we talked about the first part of the show about how kind of like it, it's just you're just watching people struggle, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, the whole thing is just held up by the setting and the character, you know, and the characters. But I feel like she's not particularly dynamic. She has television charisma. I sympathize with her plight, but she, but other than she is the character uh, where you get the insight into cuisine life in New Orleans and what it was like to be a chef in light of the hurricane in the yeah. shadow of the hurricane there's not a whole lot going on with her You're which right. is like i said it's almost she's almost like a living metaphor for this show yeah i mean steve zahn had to have or uh, i should say davis davis had to have a love interest and what a better you know this you're exactly right introduction to New Orleans cuisine, you know, that's, that was kind of my take too. It, there wasn't mm -hmm. really anything compelling here. Yeah. All right. Next one. Next one. Big chief. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Now cool. Lester smooth. <laughs> Glad to see him uh, working in Treme. Love it. I, this was probably, I mean, I love the character. I just didn't understand at first, what the hell is going on with this outfit? This these masking up the big the the guardians of the flame. I think a lot of it, a lot of his arc was to me was we got to get the people back. We've mm -hmm. got to get our neighborhoods back. We got to not lose this culture. Exactly, we the can't new, lose the, this the part. Mardi Gras Indian culture was like on the verge of you know if you go by this show. Like, I don't know how true that is, but the the uh, perspective of this show is that unless there was an active movement to retain the culture, the culture of the Mardi Gras Indians was in danger of being extinct. So that's kind of where I was like, OK, I, I, I'm completely ignorant about th that part of you know, Mardi Gras. I didn't know anything that Indians were involved. <laughs> Obviously they have been, I, I would assume that this has clearly been a tradition for quite a while now that after watching this show, um, oh, 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 O'Reilly. you need parts. O'Reilly auto parts has parts need them fast. We've got fast, no matter what you need. We have thousands of professional parts, people doing their part to make sure you have it product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts, people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly auto parts. Is that something that you had heard of when you were going? No, down to I, uh. no. I mean, like I knew, I mean, I'm familiar with, I've never actually been to Mardi Gras, but I am familiar with it. I've seen it. 
okay. um you know that sort of thing and i know like like the, the costuming and and feathers and whatnot but i don't i didn't know anything about mardi gras indians until i watched the show okay got it got it um so yeah the the, dis- the i'll tell you what the the demo the um the the junk guy the demolition guy that he partners up with in the beginning mm-hmm. you know i think had a very real so what i love about david simon shows people say very real things people very relatable real things and he's like the city's destroyed people don't have homes the fuck we don't we are not about needle and thread just right now right and clark peter's not hearing shit right he's like don't know how oh my goodness <laughs> god what a great scene that is it, it he is a very very stubborn man and when i say that it's not like it's just because he's going to do this and he's so so single-minded you can mm-hmm. tell that with his kids his kids recognize that he is a very one-track mind man and oh like the daughter immediately his... gives up he's like i i can't talk to him you try yeah it gets uh delmond which i have a we don't have much to say about him but i got a picture for him anyway mm-hmm. but the yeah the son delmond comes in as she's trying to get him to and he's like no no he's got one focus and that is to do this thing to get and I, and granted it's a it, kind of like candy alexander clark peters says more with a face than he right? does with dialogue reading <laughs> yeah yeah so it's one of my top five interactions is when I think his son tries to say something to him. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's in regards to uh, you know, <laughs> just getting at him. And he's like, all right, all right. I'm sorry. He says, all right. I heard you twice the first time. I was like, right. yes, I will take that. And I will, I can't wait till my son <laughs> yeah. says that to me. Sometimes. I was going to say, you ever look like that? Ever just give your kid a look? And they're just like, <laughs> yep, got it. I <laughs> argument over. Yeah. Father, um, you are heard. My favorite, I think my favorite part in this season with Big Chief is when he goes to the projects and he goes into that one uh, unit and mm-hmm. that's been shut down. You know, this thing has been the kid with a wrench. No, not that one. I'm talking okay. about when the police come to remove him from oh, the project. When he's in Calliope. Yeah. Yeah. Calliope. That's, that's it. And uh, he's like st- sitting there and he says, call the reporters first and then call the police. You know, like right. the reporters show up and then he's on the phone with the police. Like, yeah, come on down. It's a very Gandhi moment of, I will, you know, I'm never going to win through violence, so I will through shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite interaction with him is when he's talking to the uh, the one police officer. Oh, and, he, and, and the community relations guy is there. Now, he knew the community relations guy through their interactions at Calliope. Right. Um, and he's there, and they have a whole new kettle of fish to deal with. It is almost time for the Mardi Gras Indians to march on St. Joseph's Day or whatever, whatever it is. And he's like, hey, last year, you know, before the world ended, um, you know, there was a natural antagonism between your Indians and my police because you Indians feel like you put your costumes on and suddenly you don't have to obey the law. And my police, being as they are, feeling like if you can't obey the natural dictatorship of law enforcement... You will be beat to death. Sounds reasonable. Um, <laughs> and he's like, so I sure if there's anything we can agree on, it's maybe not beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> and and Clark Peters, you know, uh, Big Chief Lambeau says, are you giving your people the same message? Right. And he's like, I am. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just like, we're going to give you a wide berth. Try to stay in the lines. Yeah. You know, and again, Clark Peterson doesn't even say anything back. He's just like, kind of like sniffs at him. He's, and that's yeah, about he, it. He, He's, you can see kind of like a smirk. Like it's almost like he was kind of happy that it seems like there is some, at least some movement on that front in regards to the relationship with the police. But he's not an insane person. And I think he, you know, it's like, it's like a kid who quietly acknowledges you're right, or at the very least, they're not going to fight with you about it anymore. Right. Exactly. But they don't want to give you the satisfaction of saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so it's kind of they just grunt at you. <laughs> <laughs> and we have an understanding. Yeah. Uh, yep. I've actually said that. I have I have a child who likes to grunt at me after we have an understanding. And I go, glad we're on the same page. <laughs> glad we're on the same page. Oh, Johnny, blow your horn. Yeah. I brought, I mean, I got a picture here. We do not have to go too much into depth about Delman, which is Big Chief's son. I'll tell you what I have to say about him. He is every disappointing son you've ever had. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. He's a wild success in none of the ways you want him to be. You know, uh, his father wants him to be a Mardi Gras Indian and be, you know, and be a New Orleans jazz musician and swing and have soul. And he leaves the nest, goes out and creates his own identity away from Rocky. And, <laughs> and, you know, and he becomes this worldwide renowned musician. You know, he's got gigs everywhere. He's playing in New York. He's playing in a whole different style. And he is what a wild and wonderful uh, success. You know, God bless America. And what a disappointment to a father who just wants you to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> and I, I, lo- I love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Delman throughout most of the se- season, you're looking at him and he, it feels like he is trying to distance himself from that culture as far as he can. That's why I made the Rocky joke. It's very much Rocky and his son from Rocky. Oh, Rock- Rocky. Okay. Gotcha. You know, that yeah. whole, like, that's how winning's done speech. That was about like, I can't get out of your shadow. And he was like, you don't even try. Right. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of like, I guess the, the best part of Delman's arc is when he sees the Indians out and he realizes, mm-hmm. you know what, there is something to this. He couldn't wait. To, he wanted to become involved with his father and mm-hmm. he, be, he becomes uh, involved in getting ready for the Indians to go back out at night. Uh, but anyway, I, I sympathize with his character. I certainly understand the need to separate yourself from your family and create your own identity and be your own man. And but I but it's it's hard because I see it from his point of view, but I feel his father's point of view. Right. Um, one thing I kind of wanted to real quick before I forget, and because we only got two more characters left. Mm-hmm. Um, the one moment dealing with Big Chief here was when they were at somebody's house uh, and the Katrina bus came by. Mm-hmm. Katrina tour. Do you remember the Katrina tour bus? Vaguely, and like yeah. parks. So, so they're out. I think this is after um, they find the body of their friend, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. all underneath the boat. Right. And so they're kind of like outside his house, I believe getting ready mm-hmm. to possibly do the funeral and up rolls this fucking bus that says Katrina tour. On the, and they're all just looking at it. Like these tourists are snapping pictures at the devastation of this neighborhood. And he mm-hmm. just cannot believe it. But yeah, that, I mean, okay. that right there, that one scene really drives it home. Like 
just kind of like how I was on the outside watching all mm -hmm. this happen on the news and all this, you know, as captivating as it was, you know, I wasn't somebody that suffered. Yeah. And I would, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have been going down to New Orleans just to tour the <laughs> devastation. But sure. regardless, there were people that did that. That's insane. Can we talk about how ornate those costumes are? Oh, that my they, gosh. They hand sewed. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have no patience for that sort of thing. And I looked at that and I'm like, wow, if they that if that's true, that's, you know, they spend all year sewing that much. Right. And, you know, right. individual beating and, you know, and sequencing and all of that. And it's like, holy crap. Like yeah. that's dedication, man. Right. And then they go out and they the weirdest interaction between the two. I had no idea what was going on. We got two oh, Indian yeah. chiefs. Respect they, for respect, uh, baby. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna go to Wendy's and grab a big Mac <laughs> or go grab a, a baconator um and, and, and sit back and watch. I have no idea what's going on in this town. Um okay, all right, let's get to our final two. Yeah, and this is a pair. Sonny. Uh what a douchebag. Yeah. Uh my notes are street entertainer who has, I think, clearly had a bad drug habit. He gets involved with Annie and it seems like he's I mean, seems clean, but he definitely relapses. Yeah, I think uh, he's from um the Netherlands, if I remember correctly. Let me read Dutch. his with yeah. Um da, 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 da. go ahead, keep going. Oh well, yeah, he's he's basically a street entertainer, his playing partner. Annie and romantic interest. Uh, they uh, it completes the day. Yeah, he's those... he's from Amsterdam. The, yeah, he's from the Netherlands. Okay, all right. So uh, you know they're they're just kind of on the street and they're singing and and getting some money there from the tourists yeah, around there. He and... he was a drug addict and then he got clean because of Katrina and then he was allegedly, you know, rescuing people in a boat That's sailing right. around the city. And uh, you know, and he's very attached to Annie. And it's one of those deals where. He's happy to be successful with her, but is not tremendously happy with she gets success on her own, but is yep. perfectly happy to be successful on his own. Yeah. He has I, a very I, like misogynistic like ownership angle with Annie. And they, by the end of it, they are not together anymore. And there's, she's better off without him. There's definitely I, I got like this sense of fear that he didn't <laughs> want to lose her. And he knew that he, I, I mean, I genuinely believe Sonny loves her, uh, but I also can see that he doesn't want her to become successful because he runs the risk of losing her. Right. Um, and so that probably feeds into why he relapses. Of course, he's not, a, he doesn't make good decisions either. No. Um, but <laughs> now he's anyway. kind of a shitty character. We can go on to the next person. Yeah. Well, the next person is Annie who, by the way, just wants is, to play her fiddle. She is an actual uh, violinist. She's really good. She's really good in this. Right. So here's the problem, though. She's a kind of another nothing character. She's just a girl in the world playing a fiddle, loves her man, you know, and just wants to make music. And he, you know, and the boyfriend makes life difficult, more difficult than it has to be. And she's clearly more talented than he is. Right. And and that's, her really that's, her, that's her whole character. <laughs> her complicated relationship with Sonny, though, is impacting her uh, playing gigs sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like uh, when they first have that big falling out after I can't remember if it's after he hits her, but you know, she goes to audition for something and she's clearly not playing the best that she can mm -hmm. play. And one of the guys is like, do you have trouble in your heart? And he's, she's like, yeah, I do. But anyway, yeah, I, I think her, uh, her character watching her kind of struggle where she has to rely on Sonny 
because she really doesn't have anywhere else to go. She has friends and luckily she's able to, uh, she has a few friends out there. She's able to find one to like sleep on the couch for a little bit. But yeah, by the end of this, by the end of the season, she ends up on Davis's doorstep, yeah. which is pretty cool. You know, you're kind of, you were kind of hoping that they might, maybe there might be something there. Well, by the end of the season, there definitely might be. So there you go. That's all, right. all the prime characters, buddy. All right. We're going to wrap up uh, our season one review here with some quotes. Oh boy. I right. am not. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to read the first two and then you can, and then you can jump in. Okay. All right. You go for it. All right. This is from Antoine. Without that horn, I can't make a living. And this is Davis. Cosmically speaking, the more cocks that get sucked in the world, the better for humanity. <laughs> I, I can't really disagree with that. All right. Go ahead. Are you on page one? You are, aren't you? Okay. No, I'm on page go. two. No, you're on page one. Am I? Okay. Uh, yep. I was on page two. It's called YouTube. Anyone can put anything on there. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's good old Creighton. All right. I'll be Tony. You be Davis. All right. Davis, you do not motherfuck the National Guard. I just want my city back. Uh, Albert. Welcome. Welcome. To the city that care forgot. Oh, boy. All right. This is Davis. Davis has some great ones. Mm -hmm. You can't throw me out. I'm your boyfriend. Kind of. Kind of. Maybe not on a consistent basis, but, but I'm a friend with benefits. You find me charming. <laughs> uh, Davis, again, this is New Orleans, dog. Police ain't going to come. If they do, they'll start shoving us out of the way and looting. <laughs> Another uh, Davis right. quote. Uh, yeah, Davis, I'll be Davis. You tell me all you want to do is get high, play trumpet and barbecue in New Orleans your whole life. That'll work. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna do this one. This is Davis again. Consignment means shit be mine. <laughs> when he goes looting that oh, consignment so store, yeah, he's grabbing <laughs> shit. This is how to print. Um, all right, here's Davis again. You think the mob would have dragged ass like FEMA left little old ladies on the rooftops? All right, LaDonna. I ain't seen my brother since the storm. None of us have. Creighton, it's NPR. The N stands for nuance. <laughs> LaDonna, what went wrong? I married a goddamn musician. Creighton, the flooding of New Orleans was a man-made catastrophe. A federal fuck-up of epic proportions. And then uh, Davis again. I'm this close to getting a new water heater. Think you can float me alone? Let me tell you something. Davis's party that he throws, mm -hmm. everybody fits in that apartment, which, by the way, is a, I mean, it's just a foul mess whenever you see it. But then mm -hmm. everybody's in that apartment. And then afterwards, I think uh, Jeanette shows up and you can see like everything that was in his apartment was shoved into one big fucking corner. That's all <laughs> behind him. It's hilarious. Yep. <laughs> all right folks well that wraps up our review of season one of treme you got two more of these to do jesse can you make it i can make it through it i i, I really like i said i it was rocky at first i'm i'm down now i understand what's going on i understand what the premise of this is i understand what they're trying to do i can't wait to see what they do with season two so you know what's funny about this this is an easier show to watch all at once than it was waiting week to week i'll tell you that oh, much. I Oh, I could imagine your your interest could probably suffer. Yeah, like uh, I I watched this in the span of a couple of days, sometimes more, you know, a couple of episodes at a time. 
And, you know, so it's so it feels like an eight hour movie or 10 hour movie as opposed to 10 weeks where right. you're just like, oh, my God, this is dragging. You know, I so it, it's funny in the age of streaming how binging can change your entire conception of a show. Uh, so yeah, let absolutely. me throw that out there. All right. So um, we got two more of these next uh, in the month of March. We will be reviewing Treme on uh let's see here you know what be easier if i just fucking searched um da, 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 da. our next uh, season two treme review will be when i say it is it will be march uh april we will all right we're april. skipping march because i'm away and i, I oh that's right yeah right uh so we'll be back on april 10th for season two and then may 18th We'll be doing seasons three and four since the season four is only five episodes and I don't want to break that into two shows um, that and I miscounted anyway. In the meantime, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesse and I reviewed Bad Weekend by Ed Brubaker. Uh, that went up on Monday. And then Jason and I continued our uh, Black History Month shows. We did an entire survey of Foxy Brown movies. Uh, sorry, uh, Pam Greer movies. We looked at Foxy Brown, Sheba Baby, and Black Mama, White Mama. And then we spent way too long casting a movie we're never going to make, uh, a remake of Black Mama, White Mama. I think we settled on Margot Robbie and Zazie Beetz. Uh, Margot Robbie and Zazie Beetz. And um, if you don't like it, Robert, you can uh, eat a dick. So anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Saturday Saturday is Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. Uh, it'll be a Predator that uh, is being talked about. And then on Sunday is the Metal Hammer of Doom Slayer retrospective. Um, and then next week, we've got a uh, movies that suck and some that don't. They're going to be reviewing someone, that, somebody that I used to know and Consecration. And then at night on Monday, we'll be reviewing Cocaine Bear. On Tuesday during the day, myself and Alexis Hain will be reviewing, reviewing His Dark Material Season 3. Uh, at night on March 1st, her and Zachary Strobel um, will be reviewing Animaniac Season 3. And then we are closing out Black History Month on March 2nd because, of course, we are. Uh, we'll be reviewing Harlem Nights Trading Places in Life, uh, a survey of Eddie Murphy movies. So that's what's going on with me here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Jesse, show us where you pissed from. Oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. Go check out the Source Material Comics podcast. That's out there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the, fa the feed. Oh, yeah, man, the W2M feed went away. Now yeah. everybody has to find their own feeds. And stuff. Yep. It's kind of crazy. Um, uh, I went on a rum distillery tour tonight and I, you know, the guy was telling the guy like, Hey, I'm going to take pictures. I'm, you know, I'm going to put this up on TikTok." And, you know, my whole thing is I have, you know, I do a lot of TikToking and Instagramming to promote my podcast. He was like, Oh, what's your podcast name? And I'm like, just give me your fucking phone. Because <laughs> at this point, I don't even know what to tell. I don't even know what to tell people anymore. Yeah, here. Okay, there you go. You're okay. Oh, good. That's got the latest show on it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, yeah. So if you can find the source material comics feed out there, you should be able to be able to subscribe, subscribe to the two shows that we have on there, which is normally source material where we talk about comics. Mark just plugged Bad Weekend. It was a lot of fun. Our our third uh, book coming up here in a couple weeks will be. The Fourth Man. You and I had a fun time talking about that book. Uh, we so did. Kind of watch out and for we that. Didn't, we didn't dovetail into a a forty minute long discussion of a movie I don't remember. <laughs> that happened a while back. <laughs> um, yeah, and upcoming this coming Monday, you can hear me, Dean, and Derry talking Wild Star Sky Zero three solid issues, 
and then a fourth one that'll just take your brain out and shit on it. Um, (laughs) That's what will happen. A rousing endorsement. (laughs) Wild Star Sky Zero. A lot better when I remembered it. Boy, when I revisited it, I didn't. Boy. Anyway, check that out. It's a lot of fun. Um, That's it. I think uh, that's all I've got. Keep an eye out for any other shows we're going to be on. Me and Mark, hang out every once in a while. All right, folks. Come back uh, and join us on our journey from the corner to the deuce with season two of Treme. For uh, Noham Bao, I can swing. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>